Okay. And yeah. Uh, so, uh, wow. I hope. <laughs> it sounds like the chef from the Muppets is in the background. <laughs> The Swedish chef. <laughs> it is better to think of church in the alehouse than to think of the alehouse in church. You're listening to the Go to Hell podcast, strong opinions weekly held by two guys about Christianity, the church, matters of faith, and other important issues and nonsense. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing this fine Tuesday? We're doing good, man. I don't think we're ever doing bad on this show. I think it's always great hanging out, getting to talk about all the stuff we get to talk about. How are you doing? Well, sometimes we do talk about nonsense, though. That's fine. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Eventful day. My aged mother had knee surgery, so that was fun. So, Aged mother. She is aged. Oh, okay. <laughs> would you tell that to her face? I would, and she'd probably laugh. And, oh, okay. okay. And, yeah. Uh, so, uh, wow. I hope... <laughs> it sounds like the chef from The Muppets is in the background. <laughs> The Swedish chef. There's a there was a thing. I know you don't have TikTok, Tim. Um, I know us millennials and Gen Zers over here, but there is a there's a really funny TikTok that was going around where people were just imitating the the line from Harry Potter, and they just kept calling it that one line from Harry Potter, and it's Voldemort who's saying the uh, where he says uh, the. Oh, Harry Potter, the boy who lived, come to die. And then he says, Vada Kedavra. And somebody was like, and everybody was impersonating it with different voices. And some guy got on and said that one line from Harry Potter, but as the Swedish chef. <laughs> and I laughed about that for probably like two straight months. Just in my head, I'd be like, Any money? It was so funny. I thought that was hilarious. So, yeah, that's that's what you get. Internet people, it's it's great for you. It's great for your brain. Yeah. So apparently, my wife's in the background cooking, and uh, she's not a graceful chef when she's in the kitchen. So um, she likes to bang pots and pans. So hopefully, she'll be done soon. Uh, yeah. So yeah, mother had knee surgery, knee replacement surgery. So um, should be fun the next couple weeks. Nice physical therapy in the house and outside the house so uh, but it went well so that's nice um and sh- she needed it it was really slowing her down so um so thank you dr dunklin well uh that's awesome thank you dr dunklin what are we drinking tonight tim are we sipping on something sitting here drinking beer talking Are sipping on little something something from Lagunitas. Uh, yeah, and I'm a big fan of this beer. This is like a go-to, uh, just kind of like a nice little casual beer that I pick up all the time to to drink fairly regularly. This might be a beer 
if we have any listeners outside the state of California or the West Coast, this might be a beer they're actually familiar with, um, as opposed to all the other beers, because Lagunitas is national. They have a very large facility in Chicago, and I think they might have one in North Carolina now, too, but certainly a big one in Chicago. Yeah, and they're owned by Heineken. Are they? I believe they still are. I mean, I remember when the buyout happened when Heineken bought them, but they may be owned by somebody else now. And I forgot about that. I try to put those things behind me. Um, yes, I mean, they're, we think of them as a microbrewery, but they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're a huge operation. <laughs> it's like saying that Sierra Nevada is a microbrew. Like, well, yeah. Go to their complex known as chico california yeah they basically like, own chico yeah i know it's like golly does this count yeah the three the three mega micro breweries are firestone lagunitas and sierra nevada and then if you're on the east coast or midwest maybe there's one you're thinking of we do not include goose island because it got raped and pillaged by Anheuser-Busch. That's all I'll say. Wow, raped. Okay. <laughs> all right. We are going there. Uh, we didn't care about the pillage word, but I felt like that was just implied. It's apologies, like, it's apologies. I was like, wow, okay. The, uh, med- uh, yeah. All right. What do we got for tonight? Do we have any cleanup that we need to do tonight? You got to say for yourself this time. You gotta clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle five. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up in all the aisles. I want to circle back on something. Two episodes we got. There was a two episodes we were doing. Uh, we were responding to. Um, issues that people had submitted to BuzzFeed as to why they left the church, and one of the one of the submissions talked about their mother or grandmother leaving the Catholic Church because they got tired of. They're basically told if you're not tithing ten percent, oh, you yeah. need to leave. Yeah, and I talked about how I don't really think. I think you and I don't really think that's biblical. There's actually a lot of people within uh, pastors and parts of the church that don't think that the 10% strict rule is uh, is really a New Testament thing. There's certainly a large percentage of the church that does, but I think there's a large there's a there's a large minority probably that shocks surprises a lot of people who do strict to the 10% rule who who are like, yeah, no, that's not really an actual rule. That's not really mentioned. So yeah. Or if it is, it's it's more of a tradition. So, you know how and then you love. you took it a direction I wasn't planning, and I think this is an area where you got really worked up, understandably, and you took it from the perspective of, yeah, you need to be giving, and if you're not, you know, you, you don't understand what's going on. Yeah, I remember. Are you wanting me to like double down on that one? No, I just no, or just give, giving people background because I do. I want I want to back you up in what you said, and do but just do it in a way so that if people are listening to this who do go to church and still think that the whole giving things nonsense because 
they uh, they're Bono, and they they think that the God they believe in isn't short of cash, Mister, um, or whatever reason they don't think giving's all that important. I I think I want to point something out that might make you want to rethink why you should be at least giving something, whether it's ten percent or at least just something of your money. But you can, yeah. I just I mean, <clears throat> my thing is like the church is so. The church is as big as you and as and can offer you the services that you are wanting only through monetary means, right? Like everything that happens on a church Sunday, everything that you see has dollar signs behind it. Like that's just something that needs to be acknowledged. The staff members that are taking care of your children during children's church, the staff members that are taking care of your junior high or your high school students, the staff members that are up on stage that are leading you in songs, the staff member that gets up there and gives you a sermon, the lights that are on in the building, the the heat, the electricity for you to have like a normal temperature, the, the remodels, all of that stuff come and it was like global impact if you're like really into global missions and all that kind of stuff like local impact all of that stuff is money and the church itself like if you were to think of it the the best way to think about it is if you were to go back to the home church method right like if you went to the home church and you were like and you had it and you were like hey like i feel like what we're doing here is really good but i feel like we could take it up a notch like maybe somebody comes in and they and they sing songs or whatever and then it's like well you know like maybe i could be better at playing these songs if i was like if i was able to spend more time with this but i'm not able to spend time with it because i need to get paid money that's what you need to view like the church as is like you have to view it as this is worth your what goes on in a church if that is what you like, then you are benefiting from it, so therefore you should help pay for it, right? Or else, and I wish more pastors were like this, is where it's like, well, if people aren't paying for it, then we just won't do it. Because a lot of pastors are like, well, no, we have to have this staff member, and we need to have this staff member, and we need to be able to offer this. But if that isn't a priority to the congregation, then you cut it and you say, nope, sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I wish that they were more like that because they're like, well, this is what our congregation wants. And it's like, okay, then people need to pay for it. Like, because that's just how it needs to be. That's just how the church has to be. So when it comes to going to church on a daily, on a weekly basis and whether or not you're giving or not is just remember that everything in that place is it's got dollar signs behind it and it's and you are benefiting from that and that this is just the people that are there like on a weekly monthly basis you know you're you're there on a regular time schedule and it's just like are you contributing or are you just i for lack of a better term do you should i say it i mean just like you're just parasiting like off of that like no you reap all of the benefits but give nothing in return sure and there's people that give like time and like kind of that kind of stuff and there there's a whole lot of stuff in between that i'm more talking about the people that don't do anything at all right like you just go you just benefit and you're just there every single week every single month and you're just like this is great free daycare for my children and you know i get a lot out of this service and that kind of stuff and it's really but it's like you know Anyways. Okay, you just used you used the you used the word and you didn't mean it like so many words in the English language. It had a different meaning. You were using it in a different way, but I'm going to use it in another way and just be really crass about it. You said going to service, 
And what I, if you are listening to this and you do go to church and you don't give, I challenge you to look at your church. I'm going to be crass about this. Sure. Look at your church as a service, not church service, but a service. Right. The reason why we're doing this clean up on our five section, I I, it, I just had, a, look, a lot of times Colton and I do, the reason why we do these clean up on our five is we don't just record them and then just like, yeah, whatever. We both think about what we've talked about and a lot of times there's something i didn't say or think i might have didn't say it correctly i had kind of a epiphany about oh 10 days after we did that episode and it just occurred to me look there has never really been a good excuse for people not to give their local church just putting away the tie thing the the mandatory i'm telling you god's making you give this there's just never really like colton said you're going there. You're using facilities. Someone You pay for a babysitter on Friday night for you and your spouse or significant other to go out. Just think of it as someone is babysitting your child for an hour. You want to make it that simple. I could get really mean about it and say you're outsourcing teaching the Bible <laughs> to somebody else, to your teenager. But I don't know, maybe a lot of you are actually doing both. And so, you know, you're not outsourcing. It's just you're getting... You're getting tutoring lessons. Let's think about it that way. You're getting tutoring lessons. That's never been an excuse. But I would I I, I submit to you in this day and age, when the internet unexpectedly, I don't think anyone 10, 15 years ago expected the that the internet would morph into to the point where we're already hearing people complain about it. And I understand why. The unlimited services platform at the internet we pay for all kinds of things nine dollars a month twenty dollars a month tv services well all the different things you're paying for for your tv services my wife and i subscribe to butcher block butcher box we would love you as a sponsor butcher box phenomenal get your like really high quality meat that's a subscription the thing with podcasts now which is turn podcasts from a side thing that publications did in order to get you know do kind of like radio on the cheap it's now become a professional thing so that a lot of podcasts this one doesn't you and i don't envision it things might change down the road we're doing this because we're just hoping to reach a broad audience but people have turned this into a profession how many of you listening to this who like podcasts pay for a patreon or these other services to where you can get the full podcast experience it's not enough just to get 20 minutes but i want to get an hour two hours of joe rogan i want to get the full three hour experience i'm not judging any of those things but boy we throw down our shekels for all kinds of services and then yet when the got when the preacher's up there it turns into ickiness right like oh how dare you okay yeah yeah, I knew, I knew it, I knew it. I was just going to go hear about God, and then you had to turn it into an Amway pitch. It's not an Amway pitch. If you value the service you're getting, fork it over in the same way you do to Netflix or HBO Max or the Joe Rogan experience or whatever thing you're paying all these subscriptions to because they provide you a service. And you know what? Whether you're actually a... a a self-sustaining christian you're doing all the things that you know that you need to do one-on-one 
reading your Bible, engaged in books that help you understand the Bible, daily prayer, the spiritual life, all that stuff, you're still going to church. Church is providing you a guaranteed time for an hour or two to be around other people. And that costs money. Yeah, and I would challenge you to eventually... I think that that's a good starting spot for uh, tithing for anybody like that. But eventually what we... What you should be challenged to do is, again, what we've said several times on this podcast is you have to be bought into that mission and that vision. And that eventually, it's not about you. It's not about you paying for this service anymore. You're like, my kids are grown. I don't turn them in to the daycare and all that kind of stuff. But no, it's about paying for that program to happen to other people. Yeah. And that opportunity to happen for others, not for you. And so what if you're not a part of the decision-making process, right? Like uh, you don't get to say, you know, who they hire for the music pastor or who they or what goes on in the children's ministry. And you may think that your money gives you say so. It doesn't. Please do not continue to think that your money that you invest in the church gives you say so. You should never be using that as no. manipulative against yeah. The congregation and what the head pastor is trying to accomplish there because that happens way too much in congregations and oftentimes head pastors are intimidated by their head donors because they are like i don't know what we're able to do here and that kind of stuff and there's rules that kind of go along with that and we'll probably talk about that at some other point but for the time being just know that your responsibility is to be supportive and it's not about you and yeah. what your wants are I will say if one of the reasons why you're not giving your money is because you're not really sure where that money's going. Uh, maybe that money outside of the camp, the lot, they, a, a decent amount of that money outside of campus is going somewhere else and you're not ch- sure how effective it is. Colton and I have talked about in previous episodes, we're not big fans of church shopping. We shouldn't just be going around finding, trying to find the perfect church. There is no perfect church. But if that's a real big issue, then find the church that meets your mission and vision on how money should be spent. That's It isn't about you, but I understand wanting to find a place. Uh, we certainly have friends that we've that we've that we know that we don't go to the same church with, and, and they've struggled with that very thing. I I started reading books when giving when uh, helping giving hurts. There's a whole slew of books that came out in the last 10, 15, 20 years about how the traditional christian missionary model for the last 15 uh, for the for the last century or more hasn't helped and it's actually hurt people in the third world i completely buy into that find a church that that buys in that model too and is and is not just looking to do you know proselytize people and turn them into jesus followers but actually meeting the needs of people who are in absolute worst kind of poverty you can think of so if that's what's holding you back, you know, maybe look for another church. Or, you know what, still give to that church and then find that Christian charity that functions in the way you think is actually a better way to to reach people in the third world or, or whatever whatever your whatever your jam is when it comes to Christian charity. Yeah. And I think that there's like a lot of good stuff that comes from this conversation of just you know, I think there was a lot of good things that were happening and and the mind shift away from just like yeah just acknowledging that 
when you look at the hierarchy of needs and that kind of stuff is I know that we sit there and we want eternal salvation for all people. Um, and we see and we think that it is the most important thing uh, to people. But people are just trying to get through life right now in a lot of these circumstances. And so just keeping that in mind is also important. Again, when in any type of ministry standpoint is people have needs for the now that need to be taken care of before they can start thinking about the later, right? Like that's because when we're talking about the our, and this is just how other people work. Like, I mean, like, like we know as believers, like we're like, this is ours. But even then a lot of us prioritize what is now, what is present. Like we talk about all the time that you should be treating life like, like Jesus is going to be here tomorrow, but nobody actually treats their life that way. Right. And I say nobody, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but 99% of people, and I'd even throw a 0.9% of people, don't treat their life like Jesus is actually coming any second. It's not even tomorrow. Like tomorrow still is too far away for a lot of people. Right. It's like, could be here now, 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 right? Like that's not how we, how we treat our life, right? Like we don't, when your life is, when you don't have that, we treat it as I need to take care of what's present and what's now. And so that, in a lot of these ministry situations is that we went in there for the past hundred years before that, even more, like even further in the past, we went into these places thinking that we were the heroes. We're here to save you eternally, right? Just look at the missions. Okay. Uh, we're from California. Oh, yeah. We're from California. So, you know, like. We're here to save you. Um, it's the white savior complex. Is right, the, but it's like, oh, did you need saving in the first place? And said, why didn't we just come here and help fulfill your needs? But we told them what their needs were, and so therefore we tell them what they need. But that's not what they needed at the time, right? So I, I don't know. It, it's We could do a whole, look, we should yeah. probably do a whole episode on people who haven't been exposed to this stuff, that, you know, and it's not... I don't want to pick just on Christian charities. I could spend 20 minutes on how bad Bill Gates is. He's basically doing the same model, and he's just wreaked havoc in India and Africa because he thinks he's got a lot of money, and he's really smart because he made uh, third-rate software, and so he, it's his job to now try to save the savage, and he's made a mess of things well, most of the again, time. And again, also something that's important is when it comes to these situations is we understand intentions. I understand that people like Bill Gates, people in the past, they had honest intentions. I don't think anybody tries to do this stuff maliciously. Um, we're just finding out more and more that this isn't <laughs> effective, right? Like this is just not exactly what the world needs. Um, it needs a healer, not a savior. Okay, we could this actually we could actually take segway, this segue. Okay, if it. let's this might only might not be that long of a conversation, but you bring up something that I think is important. And I think it's really good for Christians to bring up because I think we've got it reversed, and and it, because we've got it reversed, it gets us into trouble as much as it does the people we're trying to judge. I try. I try to go through life judging people by their actions and not their intentions. One, I don't really know what their intentions are. 
They might be a sociopath and are lying to me and telling me this is what my intentions are and they sound really sincere. Only God knows what their intentions are. But at the end of the day, it's your it's your actions that matter. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, Bill Gates isn't going in there like openly trying to destroy parts of the African uh, economy in in hopes of saving him. So, yeah, there's a little bit of it wasn't mal- intentionally malicious, but at the end of the day, his actions his actions need to be judged and they need to be learned from. And the man doesn't seem to be learning from them, and a lot of other people don't. Rich people don't. White people seem to be learning from them. So, and I do use that term, rich white people. The even though we've gotten more secular, we are still repeating the pat the the very thing that we've cast aside, which is the church. We are still continuing as as Americans. It's just now secular. The secular church is now going around, billionaires going around trying to save the planet. They're really no, I mean, they're not committing genocide like the Catholic Church did in, in, in some instances. In, in some instances, not all instances, in some instances, but even in the Catholic Church, again, we want to judge them now as this horrible, a lot of them, the hierarchy of the church, the part that was siding with the state, the, the side of it that was the state, the side of it that was siding with the mercantilists, yeah, they had bad intentions. But the local priests on the ground, I think they, they thought they were doing God's God's work. Now, a lot of them were doing it really poorly because um, they had a warped view of the gospel, but the church had a warped view of the gospel for a long time. That's one of the things we talk about in this podcast. The church is always struggling with an effective view of the of the gospel, so it, we're always struggling with it. We're always missing it. So, I digress. I just think that, like, when and when I say like the intentions, yeah, I I think that you're you're fair in saying that like we judge people by their actions. I think it's just as when we try to empathize and sympathize with people is I don't think anybody is sitting there when Bill Gates does this. I don't think he means to harm anyone right i don't think he means to harm relations i don't think he means to harm i i don't think anybody is like the stereotypical like villain in like a disney film who views themselves as evil like they're looking for world domination no i don't think he's doing that no but i mean like that's but i think that that's something that needs to be said is that we have to acknowledge that one yes you messed up but i can see that that wasn't your intention right like that isn't what you wanted to have happen but these are the results right and so we need to be better through that we're not we're not sitting there blaming you right we're not sitting there and saying like this is we're not making you the bad guy right like that's the that's the hard part in this world that we've grown up in and to where we see that there are there is this idea between good and evil right and it's like this person has the evil idea versus this person has the good idea i think both people believe that they had good like they believe that they were doing good it's just one turned out considerably crappier than the other we got to sit there and say this was the better idea it doesn't mean that you're evil. It doesn't mean that you intentionally tried this, but that's just the way that the world categorizes right now. It's just this is, we are the good guys. We are the Avengers. You are the evil people coming to destroy the earth. And so we put people into categories and we make it so binary that it's like we can't recognize that this person was a good person. They're, they're spending a lot of money trying to fix problems. It's not it fixes some but causes others you know and it's and it's not exactly 
helpful. So you're doing a lot of that work and not a lot of it is effective. So maybe try and readjust, right? Like that's the point is like your heart's in the right place, but it's just not doing the right work. You know what I'm saying? I would, I disagree. I, I agree with the framework of not, even though I, I am really harsh about Bill Gates. I agree. You know, he's not, he's not the, the antichrist. He's not trying to like intentionally do this stuff. I do think though, I do disagree. There does need to blame does need to be pointed and not blame healthy blame in the way we've talked about on this podcast of you've messed up. You need to accept you've messed up because the only way you're going to learn from the mistake you've made in this African country, what I'm talking about specifically is he gave a bunch of goats out and in the process destroyed the local goat economy. You have to learn, accept, no, I don't, whatever my intentions were, I royally screwed up. I made a mess of things. In some cases, I made things worse because it's only through that process of accepting failure. It's not that I am a failure, but I failed and I failed miserably. Then you can go on and say, how, how do we not repeat that mistake? And I would say, even though I don't think he's an evil man, there's not, I don't see that level of self reflection, reflection with no, Bill Gates fine. in particular. But no, and I don't say maybe that, I'm wrong. And no, if Bill is listening, God, I'd love to have you on, mainly just because I'm a Mac guy and I'd just love to make fun of you all day. So, no, and I think that just, I think what's important about what we just said right there is that, yeah, so we understand what his intentions were. We said that he made a mistake. And so it's like, so. This is what should be happening is this is this change in this this different response. And you're saying that, you know, the actions continue to still be made, you know, like that's the hard part is where if somebody's in their own head, they think that they're higher up than what they are, that we're not in a position to say anything, you know, um, then now you're you're putting yourself at a level that's untouchable and that kind of stuff. And so I think that saying what that people have good intentions and that they're not these bad guys in the story is okay, but it's just at the same time, yes, you do still need to get called out on your actions, and then make be, and then we also need to be able to have the grace to allow them to to make those mistakes and correct them. So. Correct, and let's let let's tie this back to the original topic, which was the local church, and allow that same level of grace with your local church your local pastor they might make mistakes as long as they're not embezzling money look money might be spent on things that ended up being a boondoggle not because it was thought to be it was (laughs) look you don't innovate in this world without making mistakes yeah you make there's the famous edison line i think it was edison's one of the great inventors of the last century of you know, you make a million mistakes before you before you achieve the the genius thing. You, we've got to allow churches to do that. And too many times, you're just like, "Oh my God, you wasted a bunch of money." That's gonna happen. Yeah, because a lot of the church church today has gotten really messy. And if you don't believe me, talk to any youth pastor because he's gonna yeah. tell you on any given day, I don't know how to reach these youth because it's really difficult. And any within any given church because. Within any given church, you have two different constituencies within the church. You have parents, who I would say the vast majority of 
want their kids to be sheltered and cloistered from the culture at large. And I totally get that as a parent. I completely understand my kids being exposed to this trash all the time. They don't need to be exposed to this trash. Well, let me back. Oh, boy. My kids are exposed to influential elements that I'm not comfortable with that are leading them down the wrong path. And I don't need them to be also exposed to those elements at church because the church wants to be an outreach to lost kids in junior high and high school. That is going to be, that is a, because the church did not have this problem. This is a new problem. Youth group has always been the shel- a nice sheltered place where all the, the kids could go and have a good time and not be exposed. And if your church, and I think your church should, be a church that is trying to, to reach the lost. Because if you think that America is this Christian country, it is not. M- most Americans have no idea anything about the Bible. This is not the country where... People grew up knowing the Old Old Testament stories. People don't know the Bible. They don't know Jesus. This is a post-Christian society. And if church is going to sit there and just try to meet the needs of those who already believe, we're going to die. Yeah. I don't have an answer to what that means for junior high and high school. And I've been on both sides of it. I've had, I, I have friends who've, you know... Didn't want their kids exposed to that element. Uh, my wife and I certainly had pause about that. But some of the most rewarding experiences were getting to know kids who were lost, who had no parent, literally no parents at home or virtually no parents at home, who just needed healthy male-female couple just interact with them like they're not trash. And I'm not saying all those kids ended up turning out great. I will say from a selfish standpoint, it was really meaningful to my wife and I. It'll really it'll really sharpen those uh, soften those sharp edges about judging people and it really starts making you understand why people that you then find on the other side of life why they're that way is because they grew up in that kind of environment. So, boy, that was a that was an intellectual walkabout. I don't, I don't know if it was intellectual. That This last 20 minutes was just... It's a long cleanup on aisle five. That's, yeah, what, we like did. A, That's what we did last week. We just... Well, we're going to kind of continue to do that. The main topic tonight is, is going to be the same. I think we've had a couple topics where we've admitted up front it's going to be a bit messy. And it's probably something we're going to go back to because we're either still trying to hash out our ideas... I'd like to have our friend Andy on again to maybe talk about some of this stuff too. So this is probably part one of, I don't know what, how many episodes of this, but the germ of, let me set up why this is a topic and then we'll try to vaguely put a bow on or name on title on what the topic is. So I think I talked about this in the first episode when we were doing our bios about 20 years ago now. I I don't know why I just started thinking this form the the Christianity that I believed in didn't seem like a true form of Christianity and that some self-awareness not only of myself but I if I'm honest and sounding judgmental of 
my friends and peers that not just around here, but that I've grown up with my entire life. In fact, I would say friends that I had, the kind of people I went to Christian high school with, that their faith is more informed by being an American than their Americanism, what it means to be an American, what it means to be a human being who lives in America, who's a citizen, who's proud, who loves the flag, everything. That's informed by what they are as a Christian. And ironically enough, it was a sermon. I wasn't at, it was a sermon by a very popular, John MacArthur leads a very big fundamentalist church down in uh, Los Angeles. I was using him. He's, he's, I don't believe, I don't agree with a lot of John's theology, but MacArthur is very old school. His sermons are long. They are not the 20 minute TED Talks that a lot of you are used to. They can go quite long. And he does Sunday nights too, where he can, where it's just an hour or two of him espousing on some chapter in the Bible. And the way John preaches is he doesn't do it the way most of you probably are used to, where he talks about topics. He just starts going through the book of the Bible. And it might take him, I think, like Revelation took him like two years every Sunday of him going through Revelation. The reason why it takes a long time is, to his credit, he includes a lot of historical knowledge and stuff that you would learn at the at seminary. Uh, and so I was using a lot of his stuff. Even like I said, didn't agree with him theologically. He would br- he would bring up stuff uh, historically and whatnot. Ideas of the church would had had previously believed. So he decided, I don't know when this was, it was probably about 25, 30 years ago, John MacArthur decided to stand up in one of the most conservative, probably 99% of the church votes Republican service for July 4th weekend, and July 4th might have actually fallen on a Sunday, and stood up there and preached from Romans 13. And if you're not familiar with Romans 13 or even the book of Romans, it's his book, uh, one of Jesus' followers, Paul, basically writes a whole chapter on how government is put in, government's in place by God, it's an instrument from God, and it's basically Paul, he's not telling everyone reading the book to blindly follow what the government says, but to respect it more than his, the, the Jewish readers are, who would, would agree with. And that's a really, really lousy way of trying to summarize Romans 13. But MacArthur uses thir- this chapter to basically stand up and say, the American Revolution was a sin against God. And I thought, holy smokes. <laughs> Surprise, he's not getting run out of town. But I gave, and I'm not even sure that I agree with MacArthur. I will say that. I, I, and, but that might be my Americanism. But I thought, but it still, in, it began a, a line of thinking of, hmm, what other things am I judging because I'm an, an American or, or I'm, I, so far I've used American, but let's really break this down. How do I view the Bible because I'm a conservative? Or, and this is a little, I know conservatives are the one who like to be judged because using the Bible, and they're, they're, they're the more Christian, but I will say it to you, to the, the progressives out there, 
There are a lot of progressives out there who do the same thing. How do you look at your Christianity through the lens of your progressivism instead of the other way around? And I think a lot of us are not being honest about that. And it doesn't mean, I'm not asking that everyone walk away from politics and disengage and not vote anymore. But I am asking that you really start maybe rethinking what animates you in your life politically, but also religiously. And are you prioritizing your political beliefs, your beliefs as an American, over being a Christian? Are you really letting whatever your political beliefs be much more, well, be completely influenced by your version of Christianity? And having said all that, I fully stipulate We've made it clear on this podcast, there are all kinds of flavors of Christianity, and maybe your flavor of Christianity matches your flavor of politics, your view of how the economy should work. But I think all too often we arrive at our flavor of Christianity because we're, we're first deciding what our political worldview, our philosophical worldview is, and then letting that shape our view of what being a Christian should be. So now, having given that very long-winded introduction, that's the topic that we're going to try to struggle with today, is how much, as Americans, we believe our Christianity is being overly influenced by worldly thought instead of the other way around. Colton? Okay, so I have have quite a bit to unpack. Tim went on a couple of threads that I could pull. Do I need to give examples before I... Or are you going to do that? You can. I was like, I've got a couple of things that i got to talk about, but uh, if you'd like to give examples before, that would be great so that way I can write some of these things down so that way I don't forget them. Okay, well, I'll start with one because it's, me- it's meaningful to my wife and I now. And we and I, I this is where us rethinking our Christianity led us here. I think if you're... Let's, let's be honest. If you're listening to this and you're a conservative... I think a lot of you view your your worldview of who the homeless are and how they should be dealt with is much more informed by your political philosophy than it is your Jesus worldview. And I say that as a fully recovered, judgmental conservative on that topic. I didn't have any time for homeless people 20 years ago. They were bums. They were lazy. If they only got rid of their addiction problems, it's not my problem. If I give them a sandwich or even just give them $2, all I'm doing is contributing to their vices. I'm not going to do that. That's an easy example. We kind of touched on it. I don't think we got... We, we kind of wanted to... We didn't get there. We kind of got off track. But the topic, the episode we did with Andy dealing with violence and particularly the ownership of guns and self-defense, I think that's a perfect example. I think a lot of us, a lot of us, uh, us who own guns, I say us, I don't own any guns, but it's not because I don't want to. I just don't own any guns, but I'm not opposed to it. I think we're our view of self-defense is much more viewed as the Constitution, the Constitution, and not much reflection on maybe what the Bible has to say about it. And then the other one's taxes. That one's an easy one. And just to be clear, I'm a low-tax, small-government person, but... 
what's really funny is uh, we uh, we just watched. So again, we're, we'll timestamp it a little bit. We had a uh, Dave Chappelle's Saturday Night Live opener this last weekend uh, after the the vote that happened last the Tuesday, midterm election. The midterm yeah, that happened we're, we're recording a week after the midterm elections, so. and it was uh, it was pretty funny. He said he uh, talked about you know a certain president's reaction to not paying his taxes and saying, that's what makes me smart. Right. <laughs> so funny. I mean, you're, do you agree with my premise to begin with your examples? You had guns, you had taxes. What was your other one that you had said? Homeless. Oh, the homeless situation. The, uh, we could throw abortion in there, but I'd struggle with that one. Cause I, okay, I, abortion works. And then, uh, usually the homosexual agenda is one where we actually use religion to influence our well our government. rather than let's do but i also think that ab- same-sex marriage the marriage I part think, of it in particular i think abortion and homosexual often go, and we'll talk about that when we get in there but uh so i just want to make sure guns taxes homeless did you say another one besides those three i'm just trying to double check no i think that's it okay so first off, when we started this conversation, you talked about how you know things are influenced. So I need to take a lot of steps back to start. I mean, just the entire audience that listens to this needs to know something: is that you are constantly, always, and will forever be within this nation as long as it continues to maintain and continue to be a free nation. You will always be hit with some sort of propaganda. And um, I know that that's a negative term when we think of propaganda. We often think of what happened in, you know, we we think about the Nazi propaganda, right? We think about uh, how the Nazis drew the Jews with their long noses and all that kind of stuff. We think about World War II propaganda, though we can do it, right? Uh, Rosie the Riveter, we had, um, you know, the Nazis were drawn as zombies, the uh, I was like, you can go find Bugs Bunny cartoons of, and even Disney cartoons yeah. of uh, the Japanese being drawn as monkeys. You know, um, you can find it of African Americans being drawn of that, right? Like we we think of that type of propaganda, and we sit there and we say that doesn't exist anymore. Okay, right? We're not as susceptible anymore, which is bullshit. Yeah, that's Madison okay. Avenue is, and people are gonna come after me for this one. But if you really think about it, and if you're, and if you are truly being honest with yourselves, truly being honest with yourself, does the national anthem need to be played before every single sports game? I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Why does it need to be played before every single sports game? I'm gonna, I'm gonna double down on that. Do we have to support our troops? Uh, do we, uh, do our baseball players playing baseball standing there and saluting the flag? Is that supporting our troops? And I'm, I'm gonna be very strong about this. It's my personal opinion. If you disagree, I don't think you're some. I don't think you're you're necessarily wrong. Personally, I do not agree with the with the uh, pledge of allegiance. I do not think Christians should be giving a pledge to a country. Jesus comes first, and we can say, "Oh, it's a Christian country, and that's the pledge we're giving it to." I don't agree. And I will fully admit, this is a very recent thing I've come to. And maybe I'm just a crank. But No, I don't think you're a crank. Because- I think if you believe the National Anthem, the, the Pledge of Allegiance... Okay, you had it written down. I had it written down. I, I was like, we were going to start with Again, I don't think that it's healthy. I don't, I, I don't think Christians... Let me put it this way. 
I don't think it's healthy that Christians believe that the national that the Pledge of Allegiance is this fundamental thing, and that's one of the things that's showing that the country's going to hell. Particularly when I might point out to everyone, here's the irony of the Pledge of Allegiance. It would have been a caricature 10, 15 years ago to say that if you really are in on the the national the keeps getting the the Pledge of Allegiance, you're a conservative. If you're not because it's got God in it, you're a progressive or you're a Democrat or a liberal, whatever. I don't know if that's the case still. But for those of you who are conservative and you think that the Pledge of Allegiance is a big deal, the Pledge of Allegiance was created by a progressive in the early 20th century. And the whole point of it was part of the movement to decouple God out of the public schools. And in fact, the Pledge of Allegiance, I think for the first two or three decades, had no reference to God for that very purpose. The purpose of it was a pledge to the new, the new thing we were supposed to follow, and I wouldn't say worship, but just follow like we would a king or a god, which is the all-encompassing United States of America. That doesn't negate necessarily, you know, there's a lot of things that are built on opposite of what it's now intended and you know things evolve in society but just keep that in mind if you're a really big believer in the pledge of allegiance and how that's kind of fundamental to creating like really good christian citizens who are going to be followers of the united states and love they'll love this country love it or leave it love it or leave it that pledge is based on someone who wanted to do the ap- absolute opposite and just because god is in it I don't think really changes that that much. The side that really is offended by it is making a big deal about it. And the, the side that really thinks that because we're God's in it just for a second there, that it's a big deal. But no, actually, we're pledging allegiance to the flag and the United States of America. And as Christians, we should only pledge ourselves to Jesus Christ. Right. And if you disagree, again, I don't think you're a troglodyte. But I do disagree, and I really hope you take this and think about it. At least think about it. Yeah, so I, I mean... So Sorry, I, I stole your thunder. I didn't no, know it was on your list. No, there was no thunder being taken because I, I have a couple of things that just... So Tim is upset about, you know, like you should never be pledging, you know, to a fly. I even, we have a buddy who, uh, he's an educator, he's a teacher as well. And, and he hates the Pledge of Allegiance from the standpoint of he doesn't like that he should pledge his allegiance to a flag, right? Like, that's the first lines. You know, and, and when it comes to the National Anthem and it comes to the Pledge of Allegiance, again, I'm an educator. I hear the Pledge of Allegiance every single morning. Some of my students stand up, some of them don't. Some say it, some don't, okay? Stand up, they cross their heart, they do the whole thing. Um, again, just what I want you to recognize both in those things is those are two pieces of propaganda. Ganda. They actually serve no purpose. There's no rules in the rule book that says that they need to do that. There's no right. There's no rules to being an American that says that we need to stand for the national anthem. Even if you say that it is to be supportive of our troops, even if we say that that's not why we do the that's not believe it or not. That's not why you do the national anthem. That's also not why you do the Pledge of Allegiance every single morning. You don't get up there to just sit there and say, I'm showing my support for those that are serving or dying for another nation. That has nothing to do with the people that are out there serving the country 100 percent uh i have nothing but respect for those people they put in a lot of work they've done a lot of things the heartbreaking part for me is is something completely different and we could probably talk about that at another time or we may even get to it in this podcast tonight 
And what those are about, though, is about you feeling part of a collective unit, right? Like that's what it's about. Correct. There's those people that get the, you know, they get teary-eyed when they listen to the national anthem. They get, uh, and they've never had anything that has to do with anything. They just feel like freedom just comes through and that message of freedom is being presented in the national anthem. Oh and they, We're going to really get hate mail from this episode. No, like, I, like, and that's <laughs> all that I'm asking for out of all of this is for you to just recognize that it is propaganda. Like, again, you have to disassociate those negative images of propaganda in your mind. And, I mean, like, it's still not, like, a great thing. Like, it's still technically a form of brainwashing, like, that you just may not are, like, aware of. But, like, just understand and you just compartmentalize it. Just say, hey, this is a form of propaganda. I get up in front of my students every single day and I say the, and I say the Pledge of Allegiance. Sure. Every single time. Sure, sure. I say I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and I do the whole thing. I don't have a problem with it. I fly an American flag outside of my house uh, when it comes around 4th of July. I have no problem right. with anybody in this country being proud of who they are and where they came from and all that kind of stuff. There is a lot of people that worked hard in this country to sit there and say that they are American. Okay, because they work so hard for it. Again, we have to disassociate, as you said, that Christianity from that Americanism. Okay, um, and here's the third thing that I have on my list when we're talking about this idea of propaganda. There's even propaganda that exists in the church, American propaganda that exists in the church. Why do we have an American flag in every single church in America? <laughs> With that, with that lame Christian Christian flag, <laughs> I don't know yeah, who know. came up with that dumb thing. I know, right? Golly, <laughs> wow! I want the rooster with the AK. Whoever has that flag, <laughs> what country has that flag? That flag is awesome. Uh, no, the uh, Cambodia. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. The but again, we're we're looking at why is there an American flag in church? Believe it or not, propaganda is hit. American propaganda will hit you in churches. Pastors will get up there. They will say things about what our responsibility is. On Veterans Day or Memorial Day, we honor the servicemen who died uh, for their country. I believe that they thought that they were dying for something. Maybe some of them believe that they were dying for God or whatever. But I'm saying that their country told them to go to war. They went to war. They shipped them out to war, and that's who they died for. It's the same thing as dying for kings and dying for queens. We've just bastardized it into saying, well, we get to vote, so therefore it's us. Let me interject. If you're a veteran and you're listening to this and you know someone, no, he's laughing. I'm laughing because of like grade. I know because we were both really uncomfortable. Neither one of us served. My youngest son is a Marine reservist. If if you did serve and maybe you actually served in combat, uh, you don't need to send us an email in and say when you're fighting, you're only... You're fighting for your buddies. We get that. So, no, we we're talking from a general. I just yeah, want to get, get that in there. Yeah, one hundred percent. No, and I and I'd like to correct so that way I can say that. No, I think what you meant was how it was being sold, and you're correct. It's being sold the way it's being sold. Right. Whether or not the those who actually go, you know, the, there's the Chris Kyles of the world, and they they truly believed in freedom and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't want to. And where our world is at right now is yes. On a Sunday morning on Memorial Day or on uh, Veterans Day, yes, by all means, hey, stand up if you were in the armed services and let us honor you. I have no problem with that. I, I, I applaud every single time. I give a standing ovation 
um, when they come out for the football games and all that kind of stuff, I, I have an immense amount of respect for what it is that you are doing. You're putting yourself, your life on the line to make sure that I can stay protected from evil people, right? Like that's the whole idea. There are people out there in the world that are, that have evil intentions and you are putting yourself, you are putting yourself ahead of me, right? Like that's the thing is you are ultimately deciding like I will put myself in front of everybody else in this country. And I know that that's not, and again, that's in the general sense, right? Yeah. Because really who you're actually thinking about if you're, if you're out there protecting is you're thinking about the ones that you know, the ones that you love, the people that you grew up with and all that kind of stuff. Those are the people that you are going out there to protect. And, and that's what keeps you in it. If you're in there for just the ideal of freedom, that won't keep you in it for long, in my opinion. I feel like there's books written about that, looking at All Quiet on the Western Front. I, I, now, I will say, whatever keeps you going, if you enjoy the military, if you found your purpose in the military, whatever you're doing, whether you served in the many theaters in Africa and parts of Asia that we've been in the last almost 25 years, fine. But I will say, <laughs> there is it usually is propaganda that's got us into that, and there's some other ulterior motive that we don't know about or no one wants to talk about that someone else down deep in government wants to, to get involved in. So I say that not to disillusion people, but again, to get back to this notion of a lot of you like to say the pledge and a lot of you, Colton, I'm like you. If the pledge is being like, anytime I go down, I think the only time I ever have to do the pledge is when I go down to a city council meeting. They start it with the pledge. I don't stand there. I'm not rude. I don't just stand there with my hands in my pockets, like openly, like I'm not going to do this because I think it's a blood oath to the country. I will do it. I will also sing when I'm at a ball game or whatever. I actually, even though I agree with you too, there are moments where, you know, someone sings it really well, you get emotional. You do. I have no problems. Again, it's, it's not. The problem is we like, as Americans, we like to be talking absolutes. And actually, we need to allow ourselves to talk and operate in contradictions a lot more. Life is is walking contradictions. And you, on the one hand, can be proud of America and all this, that, and the other, but also be very, very skeptical and almost cynical of America as a country, That as I am. You can do both. One keeps you from going down the dark path of being skeptical and cynical. That's not a good path. But the other side keeps you from being into this mind trap, this mindset, which which is where I think we're kind of going with this, where a lot of Americans have been, where I think I started decoupling. This is a Christian country, or it was a Christian country at some point, and it no longer is. The United States of America never was and never will be a Christian country. That is a bunch of garbage that has been sold from the very beginning. It never has been. It has been a human effort, period. Was the Constitution pretty remarkable? Yes. It's a, it was a remarkable thing, what happened. Have we had wonderful moments where the country has shown elements of, look, we've had, what, two, three great awakenings where the Christian movement took over? We would not have an anti-slavery movement without the church, wouldn't have a civil rights movement. We wouldn't have the civil rights movement without the church. That's not to say the church has not been influential. But this is not the new Israel. 
so many Christians tend to believe. It is not. It is a deeply flawed human endeavor. No, I mean, the reason, like, again, the reason why I brought up the National Anthem, the Pledge of Allegiance, the American flag in church is, again, I'm, I'm getting to this point of exactly what you're talking about, where we have this, in, we have this inner sense of nationalism. Whenever you have this much propaganda that's that is being there, right? Like, and I mean, like, I, these are just some of the examples. I mean, the World Cup starts on Sunday. Who are you rooting for? United okay. States. United States, one hundred percent, and England. And that's not a problem. Like, you can go in there and you can root for these people, and you can do that. Like, right? The Olympics used to be huge. I mean, they're not as huge as they used to be, but you're rooting for, like, right? The two thousand eight Olympics was at a huge point. Probably the biggest. Olympics that had ever been watched since the Cold War, in probably my opinion. And the reason why is because we're in a standoff with China. Who's the better country? Right. And Beijing is hosting. Who's it going to be? And everybody was watching the medal count. Right? Yeah, Michael Phelps did what he did in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, but really everybody had their eyes on that medal count. Everybody wanted to see that we were athletically superior to who? To China. Because we're competitive. We, we have this nationalism. People watched it more than I had ever seen. Any, everyone watched that Olympics. Everyone watched that Olympics. Now you talk about the Olympics that happened last year and people are like, oh, I didn't watch it ever. Yeah, it was, it's not just because it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Right? We proved our superiority, so no big deal. Okay, Russia <laughs> Russia's still banned, so. And, and that's what it was, right? This was the, this is this huge thing. And so we have this nationalist idea where we root for us, we root for ourselves, we don't ever ask ourselves the questions, are we doing the right thing? We just root for us, right? Like this is what we do. We believe in all of the information that's coming in, right? You also need to understand that you have a very filtered view of what happens in the world. There is one textbook company out there. That's it. Is that true? Yeah. Is it Houghton Mifflin? It's the guy that... It's the guy who owns them. Oh, so he owns all... It's Pearson. <laughs> oh, so he's bought them all up. Also, Pearson... I, I didn't mean, know like, that. I mean, I don't, I don't need to like lose my job over this, but <laughs> Pearson also runs all the tests for all the teachers. Interesting. So you, all of your education is cycled through one individual company. American company based out of Texas. Is that the information that should be coming into your classroom? Is that the education that you want for your children? Is one pr- there's not there's not complete there's not competing there's no competition right like this is a this is a monopoly on the system right educators say that we answer to the government but actually who do we answer to we answer to this company who decides the type of education that you're getting and so therefore it all is believe it or not whether you like it or not it's filtered there are things that are included and there are things that are omitted this is something that i point out to my children or my students how come there's lots and lots of pages about martin luther king and you're told about martin luther king on a regular basis but then there's about paragraph about this big about malcolm x in your textbooks why well because malcolm x was a crazy muslim and the worst thing uh martin luther king did was cheat on his wife so that's right. <laughs> Apparently. And so like that's just the conversation where it's like, okay, you know, this is the 
this believe it or not you are getting propaganda constantly you have a you have a way of seeing the world that is unique from other parts of the world other parts of the world have unique ways of seeing the world than you see the world okay so in this nation you have this nationalism you believe in what you believe and we are very strongly opinionated about the united states even if you say you hate the united states you still reap the benefits from the united states right and you still there are still things that are embedded in you that are still nationalist. If you if you buck against it, you know, like that's that's you and that kind of thing. That's not what we're telling you to do in this whole situation. All we want you to do is, like I said, I need you to compartmentalize this idea of your brain and sit sit there and say, "Got it. This is these are things that are in that category." Okay, and how this is important is we're going to go back to Romans thirteen, which you talked about before. You said that John MacArthur started talking about Romans 13. Yeah. And the reason why we're going to look at that is because Israel had a lot of nationalists. They had a lot of people that were of a variety of different sects of Judaism, right? We had, you know, the Zealots, you had the Nazarites, you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees. All of these were different classes of people that were all related to different how they responded to Rome being their overseeing government. Did they benefit from it? Did they not benefit from it? Were they actively trying to kill people in the streets that were associated with the Roman government? Or were they hermits, right? The Nazarites, those were those people that kind of like were weird, like hill people that just kind of like, they were the hermits out there in the nowhere that they didn't respond to like any government. Yeah, those pacifists. Right, uh, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all which had tax collectors in their pockets, or they had, you know, somewhere in that realm. If you're familiar with the movies Sicario, that term Sicario comes is actually comes from. If you're not familiar with the movie, it's two phenomenal movies about drug cartel assassins. Drug cartel assassins are called Sicario. That's actually a term which I'm sure came about through the Catholic Church. It, Church's influence in South America, Mexico, but uh, it's not Sicario. Colton, do you know what it is? You know where I'm going with this? There's a, the it originates from the Jews in Roman times. It was a group of assassins. Yeah, I know which ones you're talking about. Uh, I can't remember. Sicariot that. or something. I think it's Sicariot or something yeah, similar to that. Yeah, you're correct. I know. It's anyway, but it's a minor side point. You can wow people cocktail parties down the road by bringing this up but just to point out there were it was a very fundamentalist group even within uh, uh, that they felt like they needed to assassin uh, assassinate roman officials and collaborator jewish collaborators who were collaborating with uh, the roman authorities right and and jesus gets put into one of these spots right we, we've seen it this is one of the famous stories i actually use this as one of uh one of those statements that we talk about when it comes to, and I mean, we have it on our list um, here, and you said it's really easy to talk about, but when they come up to him and they ask him about how he feels about paying taxes to Caesar. Yeah, it's a famous line. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's. God is, doesn't care about your money problems, okay? Again, this is also where I kind of buck against the system with like the whole like MacArthur like or even like the idea of government is a God invention is that government is actually it's it's run by people. God himself has established a government over all of his people, but it is 
the people that govern themselves, right? Like that is the whole idea. You have decided that these people will govern over us and that kind of stuff, right? Uh, you put a king in charge. You put, right, we don't put God in charge. That was the whole idea. Uh, that was the issue between judges and First Samuel is you're looking at the Israelites wanted a king because everybody else had a king. And so they give themselves a, a king. And now this centralized form of government comes in and and just kind of ruins everything as opposed to just giving it all over to God. There's plenty of examples throughout where it is like, this is not what God cares about. I think that's where we get it broken up where we he doesn't actually care about these little squabbles that we have is that and i know that this is really hard and really difficult in our age where we talk about freedom and we talk about what our rights are and we talk about the right to vote and we talk about all that kind of stuff jesus never ever ever gave a damn about whether or not you had a say in your government or not he didn't in your little pesky squabbles here on earth he didn't give two shits that's why a lot of people say that the Bible doesn't condone slavery. And that's because it didn't. It said, this is the circumstance that you're in. Right. And so therefore you need to respond based on the circumstance you're in. Now it asks those that are outside to sit there and say, hey, this isn't right. This isn't okay. But if you are in those circumstances, your response should be love and willingness to do more right? That has always been what his request was. And again, slavery was a lot different than how we view it in the 21st century. Yeah, it wasn't um, chattel slavery. Right. It, it, it's not what it was. It was, you know, just imagine any, any of you that swipe a credit card. Just imagine if you were to swipe that credit card, you would have to work for that person for X amount of hours in order to pay that back. Greek and Roman slavery was very complicated. You had Everything from you did have everything from right. slaves that were treated something akin to chattel slavery that we saw in all colonial countries in the second millennium. And then you also had slaves that were literally the CEOs of a, of a prominent Roman person's household, right? That like ran the finances, ran the household that had hundreds if not thousands well hundreds of slaves so it it was a wide gambit uh you obviously didn't know about samuel l on the django so <laughs> there's a kendrick lamar lyric about that uh where he talks about how uh it's a phenomenal song and there's a at the end of it he just says uh he does a, a spoken word i mean it's rap either way but he does it without a beat behind him, and he just talks about. Uh, he just has a line on there that says, "You know, no better than Samuel L. on the Django," and so that's what I. I'm not sure MacArthur was right on his his little sermon. I think what he drew drew it from was Paul opens it up by basically saying, "The government, if if you if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're not going to get on the wrong side of the government." So just basically. Love other, love one another, and you're going to be fine. And when they say pay your taxes, pay your taxes. And I think what MacArthur was drawing out was, if you know your, really know your American history, the revolution was a fight over taxes. <laughs> and so if we're having a revolutionary revolution over taxes, then yeah, you could say 
that that's a violation of Romans 13. I would also say, as we've pointed out throughout this podcast, my, my counter to Mr. MacArthur would be the New Testament is not a plug-and-play for how life is supposed to be, but it's a guide, and that just because Paul is entreating his fellow Christians in Roman times to pay their just pay your taxes and stay out of the way of the government, that isn't necessarily for all forward mankind that Christians are supposed to go, yeah, we'll just pay our taxes. If you're fighting, if your main reason to, I guess the whole point of this conversation is if your main thing is you're animated over the tax rate between 12 and 20%, yeah, you're, you're upset about the wrong things. Even if the federal government or whatever government, state government you're paying is flushing that money down the toilet, you're upset about the wrong things. Now, if you're paying your taxes, you're, you know, then you're doing what you're supposed to do. I just think that when it comes to this situation, we look at the whole like give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God's what is God's thing. The only thing that I get bring from back from that, and especially when we're talking about taxes and we talk about all this kind of stuff, is again, I cannot stress enough that Jesus does not care about your petty squabbles. Like he doesn't care. Like it's never been about the money for him, right? Like if this is what it is and this is what your problem is, that's that's not a problem for god god doesn't care about money believe it or not money is a man-made invention correct so i mean like that's the hard part is like yes i understand that money is how the world works in our sense and that's the way that we understand it and it's very very difficult and i mean like it's easy to say on a microphone i still live my life based off of money right like i go to my job i don't I don't just sit there and just not care and just be like, oh, work when I want to work. Like, I'm not working because I want to work. I work because I need to work, right? Like, that's how people are. That's how the world works. Uh, the world has decided that in order for you to be worth living, you need to spend your time working. And so, therefore, that's how that works. In the grand scheme of things, I know it's not that basic, but, like, that's just... Money is a human construct, right. particularly in the modern era it is a human construct in order in order yes people are getting filthy rich the function of money is to minimize civilization violence that is the reason for it now you can say oh it creates a lot of it it does because you can't get around greed and avarice and all that kind of thing but it is also the the idea of money and credit and all that has actually reduced the amount of violence in a lot of ways so that's a whole philosophical thing well and it's just that's Getting not too I, far in the weeds no and i just think i think that what's important and i mean like again this is just going to be part one of a couple of episodes is god is asking you to to think about that kind of stuff, where what we talked about tonight, where it's like, you know, we talked about the propaganda. We talked about these petty squabbles with the government and all that kind of stuff. It's just like, listen, that's not why I'm here. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to, right? That was what people thought. He was there to overthrow the government. Correct. He's there to do this, right? And no, that's not what he was there to do at all. He was there to start a cultural shift based off of the people that he impacted and that was his goal. 
And that should be our goal is that if we want change, we should start it with ourselves and then affect other people that are around us to make the change. And this is what's important about when we talked about last and when we talk about what happened last week with the Tuesday, with Tuesday and the voting and all that kind of stuff is that, yes, it is extremely important for you to vote. Um, I can't stress that enough. And that's also I that's coming from a person that believes that that whole stuff is a part of the propaganda. I still think that it is important for you to vote because I think it is important for yourself to sit there and say, I am a participant in what happens. Uh, in if, if nothing else, it allows for you to just say, I am a participant and I say what or I get a say in what happens. And whether or not you anything that you voted for turns out to be true. As long as you can sit there and say, I'm a participant and I have a say in what happens. And I said that this is not what I wanted to have happen. Or I say, blah, 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 blah. That is extremely important for you, yourself, and your psyche to be able to be a part of that. Especially as an adult where we believe that you have a lot of freedom of choice. So we want you to be able to have the freedom of choice. But when we're looking at this and we sit there and we say, again, we're talking about the impact that you have and what Jesus wanted. And again, that cultural shift. It's so important on these votes, and especially those votes that come out all the time that you may not think are important. The local government votes are the most important votes that you could possibly make. Any politician will tell you that, is that those votes are the most important because those are the ones that are going to directly impact you the most. The people that you vote for the school board, the people that you vote to be your... uh, not superintendent. Uh, what are board of supervisors. Board of supervisors. City council. People, city council. All of that stuff is going to directly impact you significantly more than voting for the guy that sits up there in Congress. Yeah, and I know actually, that. And we I'm actually like, know our former congressman. Right. That's didn't didn't yeah, help us out at all. And it's like, guys, the like I get it that that has like the sex appeal, right? Like that's the big votes have the sex appeal. Voting for the president. Voting for this. Voting in the primaries for who your senator is going to be. Blah, 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 blah. I get it. I understand. But that's not... as Like, if I could get on a soapbox about something when it comes to the voting stages, is that that's not... If you want to see change based off of, again, that whole model that we talked about with Jesus Christ, where it's like, we're trying to make a direct impact and that kind of stuff. And you... And, again, Jesus wasn't exposed at the time to free systems, Right? Democracy existed in Greece. Uh, Republic existed in Rome, but that wasn't the world that Jesus knew, right? Like the Israelites were still very much like uh, the priest hierarchy was the way that things run. Very similar to how the Middle East um, is still run. Actually, by the time Jesus came along, the Republic was over. Right. For all intents and purposes, but... But he, yeah, he would have understood, yeah. Yeah, and so it's like, and then you have, uh, again, what, what his, what the hierarchy was... And even in Jewish culture is, again, very similar to what you would have in the Middle East. You have this government body over here, and then you have this priest hierarchy over here. And so, therefore, that's the realm that you fall within. Well, let's be even more stark. What are, regardless of whatever actual system it was, how it might have, the Roman system was different than the Greek system. Well... By the time Jesus is around, Rome's basically an uh, empire run by an emperor, and that's the way governments were 
Jesus was living in a system where if you were a powerful official, you could literally just have someone executed at, at a whim. Right, right. I mean, like, that was the, those were the truths that he knew. And so, and so living in the United States where you have a lot of these, these awesome opportunities and you have the ability to vote and you have, like, all that kind of stuff, 100% you, you should understand the power that you have, that you have been given, that it's something that – and so, therefore, you need to be an active participant and using your best – judgment and again i think that this is something that we are gonna have to unpack on like a later date because i mean how how far into this are we right now i want to end with something which is probably then directly lead us to another episode yeah so i mean like we'll we'll keep talking about it but yeah go you go so i'm a big believer in the philosopher rene gerard he was a french philosopher from the last john gerard (laughs) vicky booby (laughs) Uh, Rene Girard, he was born in 1926, I believe, died in 2015, lived through the effects of World War One. lived through World War Two. parents were Catholic, I think, I he was a Christian, I haven't definitively heard if he's Catholic, I assume he's some form of Catholicism. Rene Girard is basically seen as a philosopher, I, I think he's not really a philosopher, he's a thinker. But he's come up, he wrote a lot of books in the 20th century. I think a lot of them are very, very important. I'd like to spend some uh, podcasts breaking them down a little bit because I think more Christians should be exposed to them. Uh, one of them is a book called, literally called Scapegoat. And he goes through how it's basically the madness of crowds and how uh, powerful people use victims in societies to use the victims as to blame for why societies had had its problems think the witch trials think uh nazis and jews uh he's got a his last book was on the apocalypse and how he thought the apocalypse was going to happen you might not agree with that i'm not sure necessarily i would definitively but one of the things he talks about in the apocalypse book which i do agree with because i think the way politics has gone in this country in particular is his conclusion to the book is uh, apocalypse is inevitable. There's nothing you can do about it. So what do you do? You don't worry about it and you just tend to your garden. And by that, he doesn't mean literally tend to your garden, but basically tend to your little, your world and do what we Christians are called to do. Tend to your worldly little garden. And I guess I will wrap this up, whether or not one believes that the apocalypse is going to happen or not. I'm just finding myself more and more put off by the politics that we see in America, not just by the left and the fights, but just what I'm told that I have to believe without question, even on the right side of the aisle, which I nominally agree with. And I find myself finding it so toxic that for my faith sanity so sh- clumsy clumsy way of saying it i think i'm just going to start tending to my garden and i'll still vote but i'm not going to consume the amount of political news and all that kind of stuff that i consume and i'm going to question a lot of the things i'm told not only by the left but the right in this country full disclosure 
I'm not a really big fan of the war in Ukraine. It's not that I think the Russians are great and they're they're misunderstood and Vladimir Putin's misunderstood. It's just I find it kind of disgusting that a country that our country is monolithically behind war and there is whether it's the right or the left or God forbid a group of Christians out there not marching like a bunch of crazy people but out there somewhere definitively saying where's the peace answer and i'll be honest with you full disclosure some of the people hopefully are listening to this that will listen to this podcast i've gotten in pretty heated discussions with friends of mine beer the the guys we hang out with at the the brewery and cigar club and all that i am not i'm in the minority and i know i'm in the minority but i think i'm right too i i don't agree with this just blind decision to go to war and i might be wrong but i would (laughs) it's not healthy when society has just a monolithic view of how something should be done even if that side is wrong you need some wrong people pointing some things out so that the folks who even if they're right but they're in power kind of think twice about hmm Maybe we shouldn't be pushing this thing so far. And maybe nuclear war and nuclear annihilation is a thing because yeah, we could we could be concerned that this is the this is if we don't stand up to Putin and do something about it, it's gonna be World War II all over again. And yeah. Those who don't learn from World War II might be doomed to repeat that mistake. But I'd also say those who don't learn from World War One where a freaking archduke from a Balkan state gets murdered and it descends into some of the most barbaric behavior human history has ever seen for several years. And literally thousands of books have been written to try to figure out how the hell we got into that mess. We might wind up in that mess if someone doesn't take a step back and say, Maybe it's important to pursue peace over being right about something. Yeah. And I guess that's maybe a way to wrap up this episode. No, I think that's... And if you have friends that you disagree with, I mean, I'd really like to get into the the other stuff we listen to on, on another podcast. If you... I, I am someone who adamantly is pro-life. We're going to have a abortion episode... It's going to be really emotional. But having said that, for all you listeners who are pro-life, I don't think it's helpful to call it murder and to call people who engage in it, most people, the Gosnell doctors aside, but I don't think it's helpful to engage in that kind of rhetoric if we're going to actually make, make change where we do away with completely or at least make it what used to be what Bill Clinton talked about safe, legal and rare and that abortions not is seen as something that's more of a last resort. You're not going to get there when you're calling people murderers. It's just two sides yelling at each other. And we could say the same thing about guns and all other issues. And so if you're a Christian and if you're really 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 upset about them taking your guns, 
and you're really, 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 really upset about them killing babies, or if you're listening to this and you're a Christian and you're really, 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 really upset about those pro-lifers taking your, your women's rights away, take a step back. Is that what Jesus is really interested in? Don't, don't tell me that Jesus was a feminist. Don't tell me Jesus gave, gave a damn about guns or even self-defense. He didn't. And we've already been very clear that he was clear about taxes. So go to hell. <laughs> so that's it for this episode. We will revisit this on a future episode uh, Future episode of the Go to Hell podcast. We thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please do us a favor. Go to the podcast app of choice, namely iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review. That's how we get more people to listen. That's what we want is more people to listen, whether they agree with us or t- want to tell us to go to hell questions comments critiques again we have not read any yet so far on the air but we will in due time we want to make that a central focus it's going to make it a lot easier for us to choose topics is by you folks telling us to go to hell for some reason or we comically tell you to go to hell because we disagree with you um you can find us on twitter at the go to hell pod Email me at Tim at GoToHellPodcast.com or Colton at GoToHellPodcast.com. And I think we're on Substack at we're on Substack at the Go to Hell Podcast. I don't know if it's Substack. Anyway, you can find us on Substack too. That's where our main website is. If all you can do is muster up some good old-fashioned invective when you contact us, I say this with all due respect, go to hell and have a drink on me. Whenever the devil harasses you thus, seek the company of men or drink more, or joke and talk nonsense, or do some other merry thing. Sometimes we must drink more, sport, recreate ourselves, I, and even sin a little to spite the devil, so that we leave him no place for troubling our consciences with trifles. We are conquered if we try to conscientiously not to sin at all. So when the devil says to you, do not drink, answer him, I will drink and write freely, just because you tell me not to. Martin Luther.